Hello, and thanks for tuning in to the Home Roots Podcast. We got a really exciting episode today. We've been asking musicians and promoters and organizers all over the country how they've been dealing with this pandemic, how they've been doing what they do, and just shifting how they think about it. Today, we're going to up to the Yukon Territory to talk to three pretty amazing people up there who are trying different things and trying to organize live music and keep the culture going in the territory and around Whitehorse and Dawson City. We have Duncan Sinclair, president of Jazz Yukon, Angela Drainville, who is the producer of the Kluwani Bluegrass Festival, and Peter Menzies, who is a longtime Home Roots host and promoter in Dawson City, Yukon, and also sits on the board of Music Yukon. Jackson Haldane caught up with the three of them. Here's a little bit of that interview. Hi, everybody. Thanks for coming. Um, well, where do we start? It's been a crazy few months for a lot of people. And uh, th- this is we're kind of um, reaching out to the Yukon here to have a similar per- bit of perspective to a conversation we had early in the podcast this summer uh, with the times changed high and lonesome club in the West End cultural center and the park theater venues here in Winnipeg that, uh, were leading sort of leading on the leading edge, I should say, of bringing live music back to the stage. So, um, we'll talk a lot, I think, hopefully today about your perspectives on, uh, what's changed in the last few months besides everything. And, uh, maybe just how things have, how you've been affected individually, over the course of the last few months and uh, what you see sort of the short and hopefully maybe as much of, as you can project into the long-term future about what you expect to see happen here. Um, so Peter, let's start with you since you're short on time. How have you been for starters? And do you want to give us a little insight into what your experience has been like the last few months with everything in the world going upside down in the music industry? Yeah, thanks. The uh, uh, I'm okay. It's um, it's uh, I'm 64, so my kids tell me every day I'm in a high risk category because of my age. So <laughs> I, I live with that humbly. The I've involved with four organizations uh, long term that all do music at some level. So our our fiddle group, our radio station, our art institute, and uh, Music Yukon, and then woven there is the music festival. So. Uh, I was in a position where I was producing a lot and then just had to stop and then was talking to a lot of people what stop meant. And I, I've never stopped like that. It was really something. And um, so we went into disaster mode pretty quick. Uh, the radio station, we set up five remote studios um, thinking that maybe we wouldn't be able to actually use our own um, radio station building. Uh, but that kickstarted a lot of conversation about how we could get music out uh, using the internet and using these remote studios and just everybody throwing themselves at it. So d- despite uh, the fact there was no shows, no concerts, there's a lot of strategizing right from day one um, just to, to make technology work. And then as the months went by, and I, I mean, the first show here is in two weeks, like apart from a big party in the bush, there's been no music. Uh, so that's been really weird. Um, but the, uh, we, we've done a, a number of shows out of the Art Institute that are streamed, but they're really radio shows that are produced at, at the Arts um, Arts Center. And they've gone swimmingly well. And because um, and, technically it was actually not that hard. It was trying to figure out how to uh, link in audiences. And we, we managed to get the show sponsors so the artists are making a little bit of money. So we're having fun, but it's still wrapped around this very large question of how does the industry survive the next year? And that's as much of a burden conversation as an inspiring one. (laughs) Like I like being innovative, but it is really tough for musicians and I have a day job. So my situation is safe, but um, I'm really very concerned and very interested in how we solve the question, how do artists make a living? Um, But but that, that in a nutshell is uh, where I'm at and and where Dawson is at. We're about to start doing live shows that coincides with Discovery Days and the Yukon Riverside Arts Festival in in two weekends. I'm um, 
I'm curious, not unlike Manitoba, you you managed to keep the numbers pretty contained, and it hasn't been a, a you know, I, I, I imagine you feel fortunate to be there as opposed to some other parts of Canada you could be in. Same as me here in Winnipeg. Um, and I'm wondering, for the folks bringing music back online here, uh, a big consideration was the the culture change within the audience. So now you're catering not only to tastes, you're also catering to this trust that you have to build about you're gonna how you're gonna provide a safe space, how you're going to take care of, you know, putting in procedures, protocols to take care of people's health. There's this whole other added element of taking care of your community that's now off, not just uh, an emotional thing. It's a, like you're physically taking care of your community now. And how much has that changed how you operate? I think it would have changed it uh, completely. Uh, even our little radio station, we're, we've requested permission from the chief medical officer to do an event that we would do every year. And just that whole step and then adjusting it so that he doesn't have to say no to anything, for example, food. And for the art center, it's, it's essentially shut down. We're only allowing 10 people in the building and we have seven staff. <laughs> so it's, uh, and even when we do uh, one of our couch concerts on Saturday afternoon, if there's two in the show, two technicians, you're, you're kind of, you're getting towards 10 so quickly. Uh, even when that changes to allowing 25 people in the room, we've got a nice space, but you, you can't see beyond 25 people. Uh, and then on top of that, uh, they have to sign in. They have to <laughs> cleanse their hands. And like, there's all this, when someone uses a bathroom, it's got to be cleaned again. Like <laughs> that's a burden, uh, whether you're a volunteer for a staff. Uh, having said that, uh, people are up for it. Uh, we, we haven't had cases. We've only had, two people come through town that had tested positive. So there's still a, a resilience here. It's, we haven't actually had to deal with the case. So if a case comes to Dawson, it, it'll change again for sure. Yeah. Yeah. So Angela, tell us a little bit about your role, uh, roles, I'm sure, and uh, how things have affected you with this ch these changes. My name is Angela Drainville and I was muted there. Um, I, uh, I am a producer and a presenter here in the Yukon Territory. I am self-isolating at home after a very brave journey to Ontario and back by car. Um, my cat is with me and will appear on screen and I apologize to everyone, but he's, uh, he's a bit of a star and a bit of a diva, so he likes to be front and center. Um, yeah, so I did have to cancel or, or work with the board to cancel the Kluwani Mountain Bluegrass Festival this year. Um, and actually, I have a day job as well. And my full time day job is in occupational health and safety. Um, so it's a it's a pretty good tie in to what's happening right now. Uh, I went through the pandemic, uh, the SARS pandemic in Toronto working as a as a presenter, and then got hit by H1N1. So uh, I just feel like this is something that happens to me in a bit of a cycle, although this is definitely extreme uh, relative to those two other things. I started watching the pandemic in January um, when it first came on the news. And uh, I think fortunately for that organization, we were pretty prepared when it hit, partly because of myself and my experience, also because there's someone um, who's a medical doctor on the on the board of that organization. So for us, in terms of canceling, it was very sad, it was very difficult, but we had a lot of structure and plan in place to allow for that to happen. So it happened quite smoothly and, and, um, and we uh, had made some really good choices like not booking flights. Um, so there was just a bunch of things that, that came together there. Uh, it's unfortunate because, you know, as with so many, so many of the big festivals, they rely not only on, on having groups gather, um, which is not allowed right now, but often, uh, they rely on bringing in artists from outside the territory. And, uh, I'm not sure whether you've brought it up yet, but currently, um, we cannot bring in artists from outside of the territory unless they're from BC, NWT, or Nunavut. So, and well, we can, but they have to do two weeks of isolation. Uh, so, so it's a bit prohibitive for a festival. Uh, what, what I think the opportunity is going to be, and I suspect that this is going to 
drag on quite a bit longer than anyone on this call or anyone that you talk to would like to like to acknowledge but i have a feeling it's going to be longer and if you listen to dr tam today on the on the news uh she did not pull any punches about what to expect um, the next few years to look like so i think there's an opportunity for artists to do um long tours of small venues and small shows in in a region over a, you know a period of time i think that might be the tour model um and it's funny because it is you know it is the home roots tour model but that might be the tour model that actually gains traction because it means you can come in you can do your two weeks of quarantine and then you can do a series of small shows and and you know, yes, the financial model is going to change on that, but it might be the the path forward that we see for live performance. I don't see the appetite for live performance drying up. Um, I think more than anything, all of these online shows that we're seeing are actually making us crave that that interaction a little bit more. Um, I was fortunate when I was in, in Ontario, uh, I was in a couple of regions that actually had live music already back and I was able to actually go sit in an establishment that serves fine beverages and food and uh, listen to an artist behind a plexiglass screen. And it was amazing just to be back in that situation where there was that actual connection. Um, and even though the screen was there, we were still quite connected. So I suspect that's more of what we're going to see. We're going to have our temperatures taken, right? Um, like Peter was bringing up, there's going to be enhanced health and safety measures and the crowds are going to be smaller and that's really going to disrupt a lot, of, a lot of financial models for a lot of presenters. But I don't think by any stretch of the imagination that that's going to, to make it prohibitive for any presentation to happen. Awesome, thanks. Um, you touched on the digital um, how much, I'm going to maybe start with you on this, Duncan, how much a part of your pivot, assuming that there is, there is one, but I, I feel like basically everybody going through this right now is making some sort of adjustments and, and ad adaptations to, to stay relevant. So in your pivot has, how much has the digital realm been new or ha has it displaced a lot of where your focus is going with how you are contributing to the community musically? Uh, for sure, for sure. We're mostly focused on the live presentation, um, but monitoring and tracking and been tied in for months uh, on all the experimentation that's going on. The, the digital stuff or the streaming, the, the challenge, um, I think, and I know others do, is is around the quality of the experience. and and. And the other subtext uh, with so many artists giving it away for free, uh, which drives me crazy. And it, it creates, in my opinion, and others that I know, uh, a really bad precedent. <laughs> oh, I can get all this for, you know. Um, so uh, we don't want to destroy our future. Uh, but certainly live touring is, um, for a considerable period of time, completely unrealistic. So we're, um, in our case, I'll, I'll just try to give a nutshell. We can dig in a deeper if you wish. But um, we have a, well, I'll just back up. We, we did, last season, we presented or co-produced over 45 productions in six Yukon communities, uh, four different series, workshops, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. Um, so, and meanwhile, we had our complete season planned. Actually, we were in the best shape ever um, going into, you know, 2020, 21 and all that's blown up. Um, so we're pivoting, um, you use that phrase that others are talking about. Um, and the first one, our Jazz in the Wing, uh, which is our signature series from our Forever, which involves mostly um, visiting artists. Uh, we are actually moving, subject to some considerations that are still being worked on, we're moving that entire series to British Columbia. Um, with our national funding, we can present outside the Yukon and that's all cool. Um, but it will involve live streaming back to the Yukon. So the Jazz in the Wing, we have seven or eight shows originally planned, one, you know, cancellations, whatever. We're deferring all those artists that we booked into the next year in hopes that we can make something happen for them. Um, but we're going to present live in uh, British Columbia uh, with a co-presenter there. Um, and it'll be, uh, well, they'll, the plan is for them to have a live audience where they are um, with uh, live streaming into the Yukon and the possibility of a 
big screen experience in the Yukon Art Center, which is where we normally present along with surround sound. Um, so there's a, you know, our Yukon um, fans of jazz can participate. Um, it also involves another package in, uh, connected with uh, Factor and a jazz label. Um, so the artists that we're co-presenting will all actually end up with a fully recorded, fully produced, mixed, you know, blah, blah, blah album um, out of it all. So it's, it's a package that's beyond belief, really, if it, it comes together. Um, but basically, we can't bring the artists we've engaged, um, and Angela spoke to some of that, and we all, I, I think, in our, <laughs> our bubble on this call, uh, we know the challenges of, of um, travel. Um, and many of ours, we couldn't get here, or they have to self-isolate, or they can't get across the Canada U U or Canada U.S. border, et cetera. So, so we've had to blow that series out of the water and do something completely radical. Uh, we're not prepared to sit on our resources. Um, we, you know, use it or lose it, as they say. Um, that's the main uh, digital connection um, where we're going. Uh, there's some other stuff I could speak to about other aspects of our jazz and hall or an indie jazz and blues initiatives and so on, which will involve some of the digital uh, streaming. Um, but uh, you know, we see it as a, having potential, uh, to another niche market, so to speak. But the stream uh, or the screen uh, fatigue uh, that we're hearing about is pretty high. So, and there's the issues of um, audio quality, video quality, broadband quality. Those things really can compromise that experience too. So, yeah, I could see you know from your perspective wanting to wait and let some other people sort of bring those standards up a little bit before you dive in too too deeply. Yeah. Yeah, no, good point. And, and we're absolutely, uh, the uh, up close but not personal, or personal but not, <laughs> not close um, in the Yukon, I mean, explore some territory. The Yukon Art Center has now got the streaming technology. There's a recording studio in town that's got it all figured out. Um, yeah, we, we don't, we've got enough on our plates without having to deal with all that. Um, yeah, and if it's readily available, then it's an option. Um, and, you know, it's a low cost option as long as you've got a venue to, to present or make something happen and be, be recorded and shared. Yeah. But boy, it speaks to uh, artists who have fan bases that they've developed, you know, Facebook, whatever, websites, whatever. Like so many artists, uh, and I'm on a whole bunch of people's cases about like you have not, you've been along for the ride, so to speak. But those, are, and you're among those, I'm sure, from you know, knowing uh, who you play with, um, you know, that having that marketplace uh, identified, you know, you can put it out there and make shit happen. Um, but so many in, in a regional context, don't worry about it. They just, you know, oh, people know who I am. They'll just call me up because then I'll do the gig. Yeah. It does bring up an interesting point that I wanted to explore too, which is the the crew, the Winnipeg presenters, we're talking about how everything's going to be very regional moving forward in terms of where they can draw their talent. Their talent pool is now very localized. So being in a place like Winnipeg or a place like Whitehorse isn't the worst thing in the world if your mandate is bringing music to the community because, I mean, you do have an incredibly strong music scene there. So that must at least embolden you guys a little bit to think about a future even if it's a little more localized does it you take some solace in the fact that there's a lot of talent there to draw from i think there's talent here um and i and i think certainly we're happy to always draw on it i do worry about what happens when there's no other artists feeding into the into the creative process and into the into the scene at all um because it can kind of just sort of lean back on itself. And if there's not that push towards exploring new ideas, learning new skills, those sorts of things can, can sometimes, um, when, when places become too insular, right? Uh, they stop challenging themselves that way. Uh, I know a lot of what Duncan does actually is artist development and that often relies on people coming from outside into the Yukon to do master classes and things like that as well. So there's sort of a, a broader, um, it's, it's going to be great for a little while, but eventually we're we going to need to have more come in um, because we are small. I would love to say that we're like Winnipeg, but um, we're, we're nowhere 
close to Winnipeg in terms of, of what's, what's happening here. Yeah. Um, but, you know, I want to, I want to just poke um, Peter before he leaves because Music Yukon did a really cool thing this summer uh, and he would know more about it than I would, um, unfortunately. And I'm wondering if he might be able to talk about a little bit about what we did with live radio. Sure. The, um, uh, I've been taking a lot of teasing. Uh, I sit on quite a few boards. I like to go to meetings. Uh, but when COVID <laughs> hit, having a solid network, <laughs> knowing who you could ask to do what, it had never been more valuable. <laughs> and uh, Arts in the Park is a Music Gone program, 25 plus years, an outdoor series of shows, Monday to Friday, six a, a week. Uh, that couldn't happen basically and um, so it moved to a, a radio program with community radio in Whitehorse Sea Juice and um, but we wanted Dawson artists to participate so we were uh, it was really easy to get uh, artists from Dawson to submit four were selected uh, we recorded them at the Art Institute here and uh, sent the files down and then we rebroadcasted on CFYT so from a technical perspective, that was pretty straightforward and the ability to do it quickly was pretty straightforward. But it's, uh, it's an example of uh, people making an opportunity and four of the eight uh, uh, submitters from Dawson, they, they were selected and on air. And since then, Music Yukon has cut a deal with the National Campus Community Radio Association for distribution to all their members, which is 100 plus radio stations. So the, these may be distributed or picked up by other radio stations. So it was a pretty good deal. And because the, the program was condensed, but we were allowed to keep all our money, we were able to increase artist fees this year, which was a, a, a long-term goal. So that that's a pretty good news story. Our team was pretty happy about it because there's really six or seven people in Dawson trying to make a living at music. There'd be another 10 or 15 that are worth paying money to go see but the, their career is their day job and uh, so when you talk about who we're working with we knew who they are and we really in some ways are trying to protect them that uh, if there's an opportunity to make some money they they know about it first <laughs> uh, Sophie got selected for something with the music festival and the National Arts Center and it, it's just nice a few things came along just to say to everyone you know we're going to get through this and um, let, let's just all work together. Yeah, and I think from the Music Yukon perspective, that was a really cool project because it wasn't online. It was radio. So it was a different format and it and it relied more on on people being able to listen to things rather than sitting in front of computers and, and streaming. So there was something really beautiful about that. I mean, again, it's to me not a replacement for the live experience, but it was just a little bit closer to it. Just to jump in for a second on that, I, it's kind of like radio is considered like the analog of the past, whatever. Uh, I don't personally think that way. We've got four very vibrant uh, community radio stations in the Yukon and the network that uh, Peter has talked about is uh, very alive and well in uh, communities and university and college campuses across the country. And that association spoke to um, has relationships now into New York for distribution into or sharing into United States of America. Um, so it's, uh, you know, sometimes it doesn't have to be fancy uh, in a way, uh, as long as the product is put together. Um, we actually, uh, <laughs> following on Peter's coattails and Music Yukon's coattails and others, um, have been doing quite a lot in that environment uh, in, in conjunction with uh, Jam Live, it's called, uh, which is uh, associated out of Haines Junction, Yukon, with a, a, an amazing acoustic. Uh, you know, an engineer there who's really passionate uh, to produce half-hour programs, jazz vignettes from our Jazz in the Hall and one-hour segments from a whole bunch of shows. And we're actually mining our Jazz in the Hall catalog of the last 10 years. Uh, that's almost 60 events uh, that were live recorded off the floor and mastered, you know, to the, or not mastered, but to, to the rough cut stage. Uh, and now they're being mastered and put out. So we'll be putting, adding another 15 probably shows this season as part of our pivot um, to this national radio network, including the Yukon Regional Network. So I think we're rediscovering that um, there actually are a lot of listeners for whom radio is a great experience. Um, and not to be, you know, we listen to CBC. I mean, 
So, um, you know, I think MusicCon, MusicCon is, um, well, and it, Peter's been in that world forever, but it's, uh, I think we're all falling into the, the wonder of uh, that sort of, if I could put it, quote unquote, you know, analog idea. I think there are a lot of listeners out there and from what I hear anecdotally. I agree. I think radio has a ton of potential to really figure in the, uh, the way that artists get through um, the next two to three years and the way that music gets through the next two mm -hmm. to three years. The, the beauty of radio and Dawson is it's free. Like we, we don't need a lot of money to run on our radio station. It's all volunteer. So it's when we go to do something is we don't have that first sort of financial barrier, but the side of that is the quality programming is what makes fundraising easy. Right. So in much of my world, I like to, my role is to create conditions for stuff to happen. So whether that's money or venues or loan your truck. It's, I'm not producing, I'm not the musician, but I, I think if the five of us can really work hard at making sure <laughs> venues and opportunities, like it's, we get to play music occasionally, but a few, a few people do have to worry about the context and all this happens, every aspect of it. So that when there's something to happen like this arts in the park thing, it, it almost comes together magically. Like for those not involved with radio, they were blown away. But, but if you involve with radio, it's like turning it on, right? <laughs> it's, it's really uh, how you discover these things. It's a radio, yeah. <laughs> <That's> famous. <laughs> but, but so much of this conversation is about how to, how to keep all this stuff together. And that's why we'll stay involved with Music Yukon and Jazz Yukon and the North Klondike. Because we're the infrastructure, if you like, right? So, and, and I include home routes in that. Uh, home routes is, I benefit more than anyone else in the world from home routes. So <laughs> I will continue to help for sure. It's people like Peter and others on this call and others that aren't, um, you know, that enable so much to happen. And we don't, we don't make it complicated for each other. The, the thing is to, you know, be focused on the mission and, and we do what's possible, but we never stop reaching for what's possible. So, yeah. So appreciate you, Peter. Thank you, Peter. Thanks, Peter. Peter's one of the good ones. Oh, yeah. It's part of Jazz Yukon's thing. I mean, we, we normally take the summer off because we all go canoeing and hiking and want to do other stuff. Meanwhile, we're mobilizing the next season. Um, so we've, uh, we've jumped into things. Uh, we've had a an initiative we call the Indie Jazz and Blues thing, which is co-producing, co-presenting. Um, so we've moved a lot of our money there. Uh, we are part of a six event series in uh, Kluwani National Park in Hines Junction. Um, we are making it worth the while for musicians to perform there as part of another initiative we're supplementing. Um, so far, I think three out of four have sold out, blah, blah, blah. Uh, all good. The venue there, the bakery, has expanded from Friday nights to Fridays and Saturdays, and they're keen to keep that going forward. So that's a beautiful thing. Um, after a couple of years of investment uh, in Atlin, uh, with a, a great artistic producer, a local resident, uh, uh, Angela would know, I'm sure, uh, who's, who's taken over the Globe Theatre. Um, we're in our third year of involvement, but now we're be becoming more formal. We'll be producing, uh, co-presenting eight uh, artists in that venue and the fourth one is coming up, um, four more to go. Um, we're collaborating with the Guild Theatre uh, with their Behind Back show uh, series. Uh, we've got five, of, five artists we're supporting as 50-50 uh, investments with the Guild Theatre. Um, so that's all cool. This is all summer stuff. Two of, the, two of those venues are outdoors. Um, the Atlin Globe Theatre's figured it all out. I've been there for an event a couple weeks ago, which was also sold out. Um, and, you know, and the musicians who want to perform live and the audiences who want live music or an experience, it's, uh, it's a beautiful thing. And these are all, you know, it's all building on the kinds of things that Peter and Angela and Grant certainly knows this, you know, it's, uh, we've all been in the game long enough that we can just call up or send an email saying, hey, would this work or would that work? Oh, we can put this in. Okay, okay, okay. Here's a one, one page contract or if we want to paper it over, um, let's just make it happen. Um, but the, the, 
we're also doing um, just while I'm on the promo mode. Um, this is a, a brainchild of, of Grant Simpson's, who's uh, now involved with the legendary <laughs> Shamashe Nu <laughs> roots, um, Cafe de Bois, which is a, a vocal jazz performance series. Um, and we've shifted it back to an idea that Grant tested out for us uh, two or three years ago, Cafe de Bois presents. So it's more of a select event. Um, and it's just an amazing, we've got three, we've done two, well, we've done one event, the second one is coming next week, uh, and then another with uh, the Guild Around Back, and there's some other stuff, and the vocalists are all over it, the presenters are all, or the other co-presenters, uh, it's just uh, a beautiful thing. But we're, we're shifting a lot of money uh, and effort into artist practice, um, so we've put together an initiative um, to contribute uh, with very few strings attached between $1,000 and $2,500 per artist to create something new. This is all invested in development um, and or presentation for something that has been developed to reward their investment in that. So we have to be, we're keeping our eye on the presentation outcomes that, uh, which are very, very flexible. Our funders are bought in. Uh, so far we've engaged uh, 15 artists uh, with new projects uh, to come um, and it doesn't have to be this year it'll be you know to come so we're trying to uh, keep the fire you know the fires uh, burning uh, with artists uh, and cash flow cash flow cash flow with minimal fuss and bother we uh, we pay 50% on signing up front and then along with a concrete plan and good faith uh, we pay the rest so we're, you know, we're moving the ducks, the bucks. So Jackson, now you know who's really running the Yukon. <laughs> no doubt. <laughs> I knew it wasn't Gordy. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I mean, Angela's another one of these uh, very dexterous personalities. <laughs> yeah, I'm just a girl who can't say no. I'm in a terrible fix. <laughs> oh, boy. <laughs> well, would you tell us about your terrible fix that you, uh, you've been heavily involved in theater and not only music. So you're adapting in two different worlds at the same time. Yeah, actually. And dance as well. So I, um, I am involved in a lot of different areas of the performing arts, uh, not just music. Although I would suggest that I probably built the bulk of my career in music. Um, I've also been quite passionate about theater as well. And I was a professional um, actor uh, before moving to the Yukon and, and uh, through that process, I ended up starting theater schools and so on. And so I thought uh, it would be a really great thing to start uh, a very large youth theater company in the Yukon. So I do currently still run that. Um, yeah, so we're trying to adapt a lot of things too, right? And that's, it's all part of, of this uh, really interesting time that we live in. We have to figure out how to continue to deliver the art. And, and in the case of youth theater, deliver programming that's going to keep them engaged in theater so that when we emerge from this uh, we don't have an entire generation lost to to that sort of art form um, and so we're doing a lot of cool things online uh, mr grant simpson has just signed up to uh to deliver two parts of our history through musical theater is what we're doing the talks on so uh, we're talking about history and how musical theater um, represents different parts of history, where it's been good, where it's been sort of deceptive, those sorts of things. Um, and so Grant's going to join me for a couple of those talks. But we started off wanting to do eight. We had such a great response and, a, and an awesome sponsor that now it looks like they're going to be done indefinitely. Um, so every Wednesday, young people and those young at heart can tune in and uh, have those conversations. We're doing a lot of really bizarre and exciting adaptive programming. We're going to be doing the round back series that Duncan was just talking about at the Guild Hall too. Um, mm -hmm. So, and we're also going to be uh, building and, and writing and composing our own musical over the next probably two years um, to sort of fill out this break on the youth experience of COVID-19. Uh, told totally from their perspective. So they're going to be working with professional um, playwrights and we're going to bring in some composers to work with them to write music. And it's going to be really, really cool. So um, on the national level, I am the president of the Canadian Institute for Theatre Technology, which represents all the, the major theatre and performance venues across Canada. 
And um, my experience there has not been nearly as uplifting or easily pivoted. So um, if you want me to tell you about that, I can, um, but it's, uh, it's the picture I will paint will not be very encouraging. It will be rather bleak. Um, so I'm not sure if that's the podcast you're going for. Lay, lay, lay it on us. Don't pull any punches. Yeah, it's bad. Um, so again, it's the struggle is with the model. Uh, it, we, we know we're not going to be able to pack houses the way that we used to be able to do that. And for a lot of these organizations, it's built on the model of, of selling out or conservatively 60% houses. Um, so depending on the nature of what it is that you're presenting or producing. Uh, I know Shaw is in very good shape. They, um, they opted to purchase pandemic coverage, I think about 18 months before COVID. Um, so they're the only sort of major theater uh, company in Canada that sort of is, is, is unscathed by this. Everyone else is adapting. Um, there's st some stuff coming out of the lower mainland where they're doing things like um, having performances, but very, very expensive tickets. Uh, so very limited audiences, very, very expensive tickets. So they're, they're trying that. Certain jurisdictions have been opening up gradually. So I, I think Duncan mentioned British Columbia and it's not a shock to me because BC has, is sort of, I don't want to use the word experimenting, but definitely relaxing uh, more quickly than other jurisdictions. But of course, the challenge is going to be for these large venues and even medium-sized venues it's not even just the pullback of the, the mandates from the chief medical officers of health. There's going to be an entire uphill battle. And it's one that I, I went through with SARS and with H1N1 of people being willing to come. Right. So it's not even just, Oh, well, suddenly we're going to allow these venues to be open. It's how do we get people in the venues? And you know, in spite of some of the media coverage that says, oh, these groups are all getting together and partying, the reality is, is that we could open Roy Thompson Hall tomorrow and we would barely sell probably 100 seats. So it's, um, and maybe 100 is a bit conservative for that space, but, but it's, it's difficult to say what the, how long it's going to take for the market to recover, um, let alone just the release of the restrictions from COVID. And the other piece that no one's talking about, but is and going to end up being a fairly significant concern, is that the organization that, that I'm the president of also represents the supply sector for theaters as well. So all of the rental companies, all of the manufacturers, all of the sales divisions, and um, they've been hit very hard. They're independent for-profit companies. Many of them are either in the process of bankruptcy or approaching bankruptcy. So which is which is horrible um but what it will mean for those venues those conventional large soft seat venues is that when things start to open up they might have a lot of trouble replacing equipment you know um, replacing their stage blacks and so on because these people are just not going to be around the way that we've come to expect them to be um, even the rental companies like who knows what will happen what will happen there i think in the yukon uh, there's lots of people really trying to make sure that that everybody stays afloat. But I think in the larger sort of national scene, um, we forget that there's an entire for-profit side of our business that we lean on. And they're really, really struggling. So at one point, we were pushing for more capital investment um, dollars to flow. And maybe that will happen from the from the feds so that we could at least do some upgrading right now um, when our houses are all dark. But so far, we haven't seen that. It's been more about making sure that we get, you know, artists fed and, and those things as well, which are extremely important things. So, But yeah, I mean, for presenters nationally, um, sitting in some of the calls and Angela's right there in the, in the driver's seat, um, you know, uh, it's like for public governments and around all these issues, um, the, the, the venues uh, who are used to operating in a certain mode, um, are very nervous about taking risks. Um, you know, I, I haven't read any recent literature, but just try and get, you know, uh, just try and travel abroad when there's a, a travel advisory, you can't get insurance unless you pay the earth for it. So there's a whole bunch of factors that are there. I, I'm, I'm seized at the fact that maybe our funders can, can go there too. And this is a bit of where Shemesh uh, Anu is, is at, which is, you know, smaller audience, audiences have to be okay. Those intimate experiences, 
have to be okay. We need to think it's just right. It's, it's a very personal kind of that, um, uh, you know, the, the old model, I guess, of, of, you know, in the, in the living room or whatever, you know, um, the big numbers, I don't think you're going to come back anytime soon. I mean, the Yukon Arts Center, uh, to my understanding, is not putting any effort into trying to figure out how to op- reopen the old fire hall. Um, they've got an operational plan for the Yukon Arts Center right now, uh, subject to some changes that may happen shortly, or maybe happen today. I don't know. I haven't been online checking out uh, stuff. But, uh, you know, 50, up to 50, uh, maybe up to 84 with the expanded whatever is dealing with the physical distancing uh, for a 60-minute whatever, like 60 minutes. So for our Jazz in the Hall Learn, Listen, Jam, that's normally a two to three hour event. So, okay, we drop the jam. Oh, so then we're left with the learn and the listen uh, or the, yeah. And that's normally an hour and a half of the break. Oh, well, they don't want intermissions. They don't want people going to the bathroom, you know. And then it's a more expensive venue to present and the audience experience is going to be weird. Um, and you know, to Angela's point, um, Will people come back? I mean, certainly there'll be an appetite for music, but hmm, you know, uh, it may be a slow, a slow return. Um, and meanwhile, presenters will be, they're trying to keep their staff afloat. Uh, I was on one call last week. I don't know what the, I can't remember what the venue was. Maybe I never heard it, but they normally had a hundred uh, stage managers, blah, 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 you know, every day of the week uh, in their venue working on stuff. And those are all gig workers too. And they have nothing. So um, as we lose the infrastructure and the resources to make stuff happen, that if, if it contracts that, that much, we're going to be in really big trouble. Um, you know, there's that old line, the old anthem, we shall overcome, right? <laughs> <laughs> yeah. But where we're headed, I'm not sure. I think Home Roots should consider um, running their, their series in the summer which I know that typically everybody's backed off of because of festivals, but festivals aren't coming back and outdoor things in people's yards, I think will be palatable. You know, if you, if your pitch changes to accommodate the changing culture, it becomes barn roots, you know, or it becomes garage roots or what, well, you know what I mean? It's like, it's no longer about the living room. Now it's about the outbuilding that can accommodate. I super want to go to barn roots. <laughs> Tonight. <laughs> oh, I'm under quarantine. Yeah, and I think I just, I don't know, um, I think common cause is really important in the environment we're working in. Uh, and I'm like, Yukon Arts Centre is actually partnering with an institution in Ontario, I think it is, to, you know, host an artist that's going to be live streamed into the Yukon to be presented here that was curated by... Um, you know, uh, DCMF's uh, artistic director, like collaboration. Um, for Jazz Yukon, which I can speak for, uh, we are, um, some of it's leftovers, but some of it's stuff we still can do. Uh, we're contributing towards uh, airfares. We're contributing towards uh, sponsorship fees. Um, we're reaching, as long as it kind of fits into that uh, umbrella of world music, you know, jazz, blues, improvisational, we'll stretch as far as we can. And it might be a hundred bucks, or it might be a thousand bucks, or it might be more. Or just um, we'll we'll create connections. So we're working with an artist out of BC who's from here originally, uh, and we might have three gigs, and we'll put the airfares together. And he's got family here and whatever. So I, I think, and I you know, Jazz Yukon's been there for homeworks before, not so much recently, but somehow I think it's common cause that needs to drive us. Um, and you know, it may not directly fit our mandates, but maybe our funders won't care because they they can see the end results in the current context we're operating in. Um, and I think, um, you know, <laughs> I was actually just looking at the agenda for the, the Guild out back and, and saw that the uh, Yukon Theatre for Youth uh, <laughs> was in the mix, Angela. And, uh, you know, what a beautiful thing. And it's small, intimate audiences. Uh, the Guild's putting some of the resources on the table and they're presenting music and theatre and storytelling and barbecues. <laughs> and um, So I think Personally, I'd like to think that we could all stretch our our agendas, um, have committed a lot of our resources, but maybe back into the, maybe maybe it was new this last year or so, but home roots uh, within the Yukon. Um, Michelle, the Yukon Arts Center is 
definitely looking to deal with the reality of presenting more Yukon artists, even if it, we all have to kind of collaborate so that we're not stepping on each other's territory, so to speak. So maybe there's a, an opportunity to keep the, the lights on, so to speak, um, because we've been working on the trap line, as I mentioned, you know, Atlin, well, uh, we went back into some territory that Grant uh, explored with the Swing Dance Project a few years ago, Mount Lauren, this spring, and they had more people there than they could accommodate. It was the, the most of it, you know, attended show in ever. Uh, so I think there's opportunities in the, you know, the 30 to 50 range. Um, and those could be house concerts. We have artists who are saying they're going to produce house concerts. They've got people that will come. Um, these are people that are known to us uh, and many of us here. Um, so, you know, would happily collaborate, um, particularly if we can bring some cover in, like with uh, Music Yukon, <laughs> uh, Kayak, uh, you know, Klondik, or North Klondik Highway Society. Um, let's put together, like, okay, just throw the challenge out there. Let's put together something uh, that's home roots identified um, and see what we can make happen in 2021. I think there's fun spaces like that too, right? Like I'm thinking stuff like I, if there's an artist, like we have an extra apartment in our house and every time artists play Atlin, we just let them stay there and tour. But, you know, it's one of those things that if it's a solo or a duo, we have a two bedroom, like they could just, they could, they could really do two weeks there and we could maybe find them some, some rehearsal space that we could keep on lockdown and things like that too. Like, I think there's tons of ways to explore it. It just, it's not going to be the in and out for 20 K that a lot of artists, other artists are looking for. You know what I mean? Yeah. Yeah. And, and I think part of our ecosystem are the recording studios and the techs and the whatever, whatever, um, you know, so never a better opportunity to put a new, you know, come up and play some gigs and put a new, new album together, you know, and then also like the opportunity for collaboration is so cool and great. Like, so if you're coming up grant and Duncan knows you're going to be here, like we make that a month. You do some work with Yukon theater for young people. You do a tour, you do some workshops with jazz Yukon, right? So there's build up that to make it worthwhile. And I love yeah. grant and I miss you, but I have a music Yukon meeting in 13 minutes. Bye everybody. Bye guys. That was, thank you very much everybody for hanging out with having a conversation, bringing some well-needed insight to the folks at home about uh, how all these different people, major players in the music industry are navigating this COVID shift. So uh, thanks to Home Roots for providing us this little platform for yakking all evening. And uh, we'll say goodbye to everybody and see you on the next podcast. That's all the time we have for today. A big thank you to Angela Drainville, Duncan Sinclair, and Peter Menzies of Yukon for come, taking the time and doing this interview. Uh, conducted by Jackson Haldane. Our producer is Grant Simpson. My name's Tim Osmond. Thanks a lot for tuning in. We're going to take it out with Manfred Jansen and Jim Vautour with their classic Yukon hit, A Land of Gold.
that you never felt before so why in the hell do you want to go and whatever gave you the yearning to drive a thousand miles of dusty road whatever gave you the feeling to come up here to the land of gold Come 